Hi everyone and welcome to the Imprint podcast. We're here today with Selene Raw, Footwear Creative. Hey Selene. Hey, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for giving us some time today at the Imprint. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to finally be speaking with you about my work and my journey. <laughs> it's taken a long time to get, but we know you've been busy. So we'll get down to those bits. <laughs> so can you tell everybody how design found you and where your journey began? Um, well, design, I've always been a kid who was a bit strange and making things and, uh, and just drawing all the time. And um, I didn't know that you could become a designer. Uh, I graduated from high school in 2001 to give like, well, 20 years ago, ouch. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, and so I went to um, a school fair and I came across a design school and I learned you could uh, become an advertiser, you know, like more communication and logos and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. Um, and uh, whilst I was in school trying to go into graphic design, there was a lack of uh, women going into product design. And so my teachers kind of pushed me in there and said, oh, if you do product design, you can do graphics, you can do fashion, you can do whatever you want. Um, and uh, it's ironic because I, I didn't know that, you know, being a, a woman, a minority in that field would be something that would follow me through my career. Um, but uh, I took it, you know, as a compliment at first. And uh, yeah, it, once I was in product design, I realized I didn't really want to make Hoovers. I didn't want to design cars. And uh, there was kind of like this opportunity to design sneakers. And it felt a bit like a, like a cop-out because it was just like, looked like a lot more fun than, um, many other disciplines. And I was very, very lucky because I came at a time where sportswear brands like Adidas and Nike were looking for product designer, uh, were looking for women as well. Uh, and uh, Nike came to my school. Uh, it was the first time they didn't choose an intern from America. They used to go to art center usually in, in California. And uh, Lisa Olivia was the, the recruiter and Aaron Cooper, who's a, a very famous designer, came to my school and uh, and they they picked me and they gave me an internship wow. and uh, yeah I kind of fell into it I was very lucky I I had this sort of break uh, so my first introduction to footwear was very uh, easy but then I realized that it is quite a tough industry and we can go into it <laughs> a little <laughs> bit later <laughs> thank you again so how has your environment influenced your aesthetic? Uh, well, that's quite a broad question, but I would uh, point out uh, that when I was young, when I was 12, I was growing up in France, um, but we moved to Venezuela when I was 12 and I went to an American school in South America. And from age 12 to 18, we moved around between France, Venezuela, Greece, uh, I moved to Paris uh, and I went to eight different schools, I think, in like eight years. Wow. So um, being a little bit of a strange kid, uh, but also moving around so much, I think kind of, um, yeah, made me sort of an outsider. And I also understood people quite a lot. I was used to moving around, new culture, adapting, uh, trying also to, to uh yeah, to, to find who I was. And uh, I think it's really made me interested in people and, 
And so that's why I was like, I like the idea of designing for people rather than being an artist, like bringing people happiness. And on the other side, uh, being a woman and being French, um, the environment very much is you have to dress a certain way. You have to express your femininity in a certain way. You know, there's the myth of the Parisian woman who is effortless and, you know, always looking like she came out of bed perfectly looking, but with the right messy hair, all those really strange myths that were real when I was a student. It really felt like we had a pressure to, to become like that. And uh, I discovered that in America, people were a lot more relaxed. Uh, people had a bigger sense of personal identity and then moving to London later on even more. That's why I love London because it really feels that everybody can express their personality without so much judgment. Um, and so going back to being a woman, you know, if you want to be feminine, you, want, you had to wear high heels. And I was like, why do I have to be uncomfortable in order to be a desirable woman? And uh, it's really stuck with me as I was experimenting with high heels, experimenting with the way I was looking and, uh, and realizing that my mission in life was to make sneakers that people could wear to a job interview. Um, and uh, I think we're there yet. So now I'm also very passionate about making backpacks uh, because we have to carry our life around that don't make you feel like you're going on a hike or that don't make you feel like you're not feminine or you're not powerful. Uh, I don't think that being comfortable means that you've given up. If anything, it means you are taking on projects and you are empowered by your comfort. I look forward to seeing what unfolds with those backpacks. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a very big lover of a backpack, me. So any test, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Not at the moment, but I did work with Lululemon and we did do some great backpacks and uh, hopefully in the future, let's see. <laughs> yeah, project it, it shall come. Yeah. That's, how I, well, no. that's how I figure it out, you know. So, okay. So can you tell us who you've worked with in the past in terms of shoes and projects? Yeah, you've yeah. got a, a ream of experience. So. Yeah, yeah, like how much time do you have? Um, so, uh, <laughs> so my career is in two parts. I've got 15 years of experience. Uh, the first five years I worked in-house. Uh, from intern at Nike, I became a full-time uh, designer in Portland. And uh, after that, uh, we can go into it later, but because I wanted to explore the sort of fashion side of sports that uh, I was very interested in, I moved to London to work for Puma. Uh, at the time, there was the Black Station office, uh, and I wanted to be in a big city, and I did some accessories with Puma, because as I said, very interested by both footwear and accessories. And uh, realizing after five years of experience that if I wanted to get a promotion, it was going to take me a lot more time. Um, so I don't know if it was because I was a woman or not, but I, um, I decided to look for a new job and this opportunity to work for Louis Vuitton uh, happened and they offered me a freelance contract. Uh, and so that's how in 2011 I became freelance and um, working two years with Vuitton was an amazing experience. I was their first ever sneaker designer. It was uh, really learning about fashion, luxury, uh, all the details that you know allow product to be elevated to uh, a higher price point. Um, but I still felt like it wasn't exactly right for me. Uh, they were not, you know, Virgil wasn't there yet. They weren't really open to this idea of street style. And 
women's sneakers were still very, uh, you know, feminine and stylized in a way that uh, didn't really reflect what I wanted to do. So after two years with them, which were amazing, I decided I'm just going to explore the market and the opportunity and find where I fit. Uh, and, you know, I was deemed too masculine to design for women. I was deemed too feminine to design for men. Wow. And I was like, where, where do I fit? Um, and so, you know, because I'm just like, it's not because I don't want to do little frills everywhere that I don't think, you know, I mean, it's femininity, masculinity. We could talk about it for hours. But so I decided I'm going to work for brands and see where I fit. So um, thanks to contact experience and just general freelancing hustle. I worked with Clark's Originals. I worked with uh, Alexander McQueen uh, men's team. They were in between designers. So I did a season with them to help out. Um, I worked with Lacoste. Um, I worked with Bobux, which is a New Zealand-based kids footwear brand and did my first collaboration with them. Uh, I worked with Lululemon. Uh, we can talk about it after, but I also uh, helped start a brand called Primary. That was in 2014. Um, and uh, yeah, I worked with Hussein Shalayan on some bags. Uh, what else? Uh, I guess it all, and I worked with Golden Goose as well. I mean, the list is never ending. Um, but in 2017, I think I became the creative director of Hogan, which is a brand owned by the group Todd's, which was kind of like, you know, sort of a highlight of my career. Uh, and at the same time, I uh, joined Construct uh, 1061 by Timberland and Concept Kicks, which was a project with lots of designers to, uh, to experiment and see what, what would happen if they let us be free, which was a life-changing experience, to be honest. And after this time in 2019, um, the contract with Hogan ended and I kind of was burnt out. And I had a big uh, moment where I was like, you know what, I wanna work with brands that I truly believe in. I think I've experimented enough and now I know what my values are and I care about comfort, sustainability, you know, equality, uh, both, you know, in gender free product, but also equality in the workplace. Yeah. And I want to work with good people that respect me and treat me the way I want to be treated. And it's really been the, the case uh, this year. And so since 2019, I work more with startups and I collaborate uh, also with the people I've met through Timberland. So I work on a, I'm the creative director of a yoga and a running brand, which, which we do. It's a circular economy brand called Circle Sportswear and it's French and hopefully we'll come to the UK soon. Um, and it's been an amazing experience, uh, really working on product that I 100% believe in and getting freedom to uh, you know, create a new vision um, in, that, in that space. Um, I also am working on a project with Susan Uda-Hengel, who I'm sure you will interview soon. Yes, who is brilliant, uh, perfect. Um, uh, yeah, she's a brilliant, knit-focused uh, footwear designer, and we're working on a, on a secret project together. Um, and then I still consult with uh, footwear brands. I just make sure that, uh, yeah, they, they follow my values. Uh, and for instance, right now I work with a French footwear brand called No Name, uh, which uh, in the 90s, they sort of invented the um, Converse platform sneaker. They were very uh, innovative in that way. Uh, and uh, yeah. So very busy right now, but also very happy. <laughs> it sounds it. And I'm just, I can't wait to see what comes up in the years to come. So 
I'm sure you'll make those announcements accordingly. <laughs> Fingers crossed that everything goes well. <laughs> okay, so let's let's touch on how your design path led you to sustainability and environmental pieces with collaborating with the brands that you have collaborated with thus far. Um, well, so I so working. With, I've noticed that a lot of footwear brands, um, their process is to create big collection, and there's this idea of gunshot approach you know like let's just throw a bunch of stuff on the wall and see what sticks and as a designer i've never really responded well to that process because for me it it was like the designers were just factories just drawing 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 and i believe in you know creating a concept creating a story and maybe designing less options but more focused so spending more time on the conceptualization rather than sketching millions of different shoes that will fit uh, every type of situation. Um, and so that way of working doesn't really align with high street brands or fast paced environments. Um, and it requires you know, people to trust you and uh, not everybody is ready to trust the designer or empower them. Yeah. Um, so that's number one. I think that a better process uh, that is focused on creating original product takes time. And, uh, and it's already a way of, of doing responsible design because if you have more time, you can create better product. Yeah. Um, so number one, that's what I was trying to work with brands, just help them be more focused and more clear about what they want because also if you create less product that doesn't sell, you create less waste. Yeah. Um, sustainability, I mean, it's been a growing concern for years and years. Uh, all the companies I've worked for were talking about it. Uh, it's more than ever an issue because uh, even though we've been talking about it, not much progress has been done because yeah. the system kind of goes against uh, the idea of sustainability. I think it's also gotten out of hand. There's so many brands, so many fashion weeks, so many drops. Uh, and we're all, even as consumer, we are tired of the pressure uh, and you know this pressure of always being pristine that streetwear and influencers kind of, you know, brought to us, uh, they weren't trying to be evil or anything, but you know, it's this crazy storm we're part of and it's time to change the way we do things. Um, and I had two choices, either leave the industry and start something else yeah. or stay in the industry and try to provide change, positive change. And um, yeah, put my money where my mouth is essentially. So, um, so that's part of the reason why now I'm more selective with my clients and I try to push for sustainability as much as I can. And the place where change can be immediate is startups. But startups are a lot of work and a lot of commitment. So again, working with the right people is uh, paramount. Um, and uh, making sure you also take care of yourself and your rest is the second, uh, second thing. I'm kind of diverting here, but... Uh, That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Well-being is top priority above anything so that is number one so that's absolutely fine <laughs> okay so um the id process what are your thoughts on designers that are created from scratch just to openly be available to anybody to create what they want with not acknowledging the original creator so that's a okay we're going for a different sort of subject um 
it's a very tricky thing uh, for the ID process because uh, I was thinking about it. There's never one person behind a shoe. Sometimes a designer or a creative director gets, uh, you know, the the name. Be uh, sorry, gets what you say uh, rewarded for it. Um, but there's always a ton of people. I mean, it goes. There's not only a designer, but a developer. There's a factory. There's a, maker i mean shoes are still pretty much made by hand yeah. um and you you know people don't know that it's pretty crazy how much handwork is done even for a, a sneaker a very technical sneaker so um it's very hard to to give credit or royalties to one person i think for celebrities like kanye it works but kanye has designers working with him he has a huge team of people you know making the stuff happen so um, I am very interested in it because I think it's a way for people to make money and get recognition, but I don't think it's the only way. I think one issue is that creatives in general, uh, commercial creatives don't really get taught how to negotiate contracts. Um, we don't really get taught what our, our um, rights are. We don't really know like how we can, uh, you know, negotiate a project, how much we get paid, should we pay in royalties, what does it mean to get share? Um, and I've only learned by doing and experimenting. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll just repeat myself. Um, so I've only learned uh, uh, negotiating by, by doing, experimenting, testing the limits, uh, talking to my friends about it, but really there should be more processes. Um, and I do feel that when you work for a big company, they usually compensate you really well. Uh, the, the big ones, they, they're fair, they offer you benefits. Um, I think the ID part is more important for smaller brands, uh, you know, because you don't know if they're gonna explode and become really big or not. Yeah. Um, so there's definite, it's more better education on how as a creative you, you can leverage your brand uh, and negotiate contract would be the best solution in my opinion. That's, that's good to know for sure. I mean, as, as you know, and I, I'm still learning, always forever learning. There's still a lot to learn out there. So that is a very good point. And yes, I diverted slightly left field on that for you to throw you off. So it's good that you got there. <laughs> okay, so I would like to know, and I'm sure the rest of the audience would like to know also, what other female designers do you admire? Ooh, uh, there's loads. Um, you know, you've sent me the, the questions before, so I did prepare. Um, there's a lot of them that aren't online and uh, it's a bit of a shame. Yeah. Uh, so I will more name the ones that are active and that people can, you know, following and stuff. Obviously, Helen Kirkham and Susan Udehengel, um, they're sort of trailblazers in the field because they're women with unique skills. They're not defined by their gender. It's just about uh, the amazing work that they put in. And on top of it, they're very open, collaborative people. Uh, they're, they're, they're nice. Like I really um, love their values because their values are inclusive and generous and very inspiring. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of upcoming young designers, I think that are, you know, there's Jess Dalton that you've interviewed. I think she's a really, really great person. There's Kitty Shookman, who's a designer at Yeezy, who's got a very interesting perspective. 
Um, and uh, in, the, in the more weathered uh, designers, it's always been my issue. Like I've been looking for women mentors and uh, you know, I decided to be more of a mentor until I could find one. But yeah. there is Stephanie Howard, who is uh, a really, uh, you know, very smart and very well-spoken designer. And I really, and also very focused on sustainability. There's also uh, my peer, Erin Mintem, who uh, works at Reebok as a design director. Uh, and uh, she's a, a big activist for equality and diversity. And uh, I really respect that because, you know, a lot of people are afraid to take a stance. Yes. Uh, you know, especially when they work for a big company. Um, and there's also this woman called Karen Reuter, who um, is very interesting because she uh, was the VP Creative Director of Reebok. Um, before that, she worked at Nike. She's originally a car designer. I, I don't know how old she is, but I'm guessing she's got at least 25 years of experience in the industry. And uh, when she started as a car designer, you know, she was the only woman. And when, I'm, uh, when I was a Nike, uh, I, I admired her, but I also feared her because she was a very strong, outspoken person. Yeah. And I reconnected with her a few years ago and realized that she was scary because she had to be very strong to be in the position that she, she was in. And I really, uh, it opened my eyes to, uh, you know, the, the behavior that women have towards each other, which is a behavior of fear in the workplace rather than support. And uh, reconnecting with her, I felt really supported by her. And I had a completely new point of view on you know, what she had gone through. And now she seems to be a lecturer at Harvard. So uh, a very interesting person. Maybe we can, we can get her to talk to you on the imprint. I'm, um, I'm in the works now, so. Perfect. Um, <laughs> because I think she's got, she's got some real stories to tell. And uh, yeah, so yeah, a few of the women, but there's a lot more. <laughs> I'm, sure I'm sure there is. And that is, that is a phenomenal list that you've just given everybody. So I'm just, yes. And I, I apologize if I forgot some people. <laughs> <laughs> the apologies are there. She's sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I would like to know, and I'm sure the audience would like to know as well, what challenges have you faced being a woman working in a male-dominated environment? And having an equal seat at the table till this day is a struggle. So as you know, I think and talk about it quite a lot uh, because it's a very important subject as well as diversity. Um, and because I think there's a lot of similarities between the two um, in, in the context of our design. Um, so it's, it's really weird because when I started in the industry, um, I, uh, I used to joke that, oh, I got, I got the job at Nike because I draw like a guy. I used to always say like, oh, I got the job because I'm a little bit of a tomboy. And I realized that first, what does that mean to draw like a guy? And, uh, you know, it's, it, I can already tell that I had a really strange relationship to the fact that I was a woman in a, in a group of, of men in the industry. Um, and I, early on as an intern in big companies, I saw how women were perceived and treated. And I used to joke as well that you were either seen as sort of a potential sex, uh, you know, opportunity, or you were, 
one of the guys and you weren't really gendered, you were really seen as a tomboy or worse, that was the third option, you were nothing, you were invisible. Um, and it's really harsh, but uh, it, it really felt that way. And again, I used to joke about it. I used to take myself out of the equation because I was like, well, I'm doing okay. You know, I feel like I'm getting some shoes out there. I have friends. And when I started noticing that there wasn't uh, women in design uh, that were being promoted to high position, um, I was like, this is strange. When there would be a woman, there would be very rarely at those design director levels and above. And if they were, they used to not come from footwear design. They would come from apparel. They would come from PR, from marketing. And I was like, this is, this is very strange. And I quickly saw also that, um, and maybe I was part of it without noticing, uh, there was a lot of competition between women because it felt like there was space for only one of us at the top or at the table even. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, it was just, it felt really, really wrong. And I was too young to do anything about it. So the way I coped with it is I became freelance. And as soon as I became freelance, those, those, uh, those gender issues weren't really there because I was hired for the work that I did. It wasn't because somebody find me attractive or not, or like, it was just like, you're doing a good job. We hire you. You're not doing a good job anymore, or we don't need you anymore. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, and then social media sort of exploded, let's say about five years ago, and designers that had been, you know, mentors of mine or people that I had worked with started being on social media and talking on Women's Day uh, about the fact that they should support women and stuff. But for me, it felt like lip service. Um, and I got really annoyed and I was like, you, when I was a 22 year old intern at work, once you called me fuckface for no reason, there was, you know, also a, men, a guy who wanted to be my mentor, same thing, I was 22, who, when I refused to sleep with him, told people that I had slept with him. And it was a very, very difficult time because I, I was too young to defend myself properly and I was too emotional. And so I was like, okay, now I'm older, I'm able to, uh, to speak up, I have enough experience and we need to do something. And I wanted to uh, connect with women in the, the field of footwear and see if we could do something about it. And um, I tried talking to some of my male friends and I realized that even though some of them were, you know, accomplished designers and they were very open and, and woke, if you will, yet they would shut down when I would tell them about women's inequality. And uh, they really didn't see it because they were so busy just trying to survive because, you know, it's such a, a harsh and competitive industry. And the first person that really sat down and listened to me, because I, I just needed to, to share, was uh, Mr. Bailey. Um, I met Mr. Bailey through uh, the work I was doing at Primary, and uh, we became friends. And he just, one day, we talked about it, and he just listened. And at the end, he was like, oh, let's do a pose to celebrate women. You know, I want to do something. I want to help somehow. But also, he didn't want to be fake. It was, it was a very positive way of, of doing something. So he wrote this article. And this is how I met Kitty. He introduced me to Helen. And uh, when he organized a construct 1061, he made sure there were loads of women. And uh, we, he picked people that were very open and collaborative. And we sort of created this, um, this nice uh, group of people that are passionate, that are all independent, and we're kind of each other's co-workers, if you will, from a distance. 
And uh, this has really changed uh, my life as a designer to find other women who were supportive and open, noticing they were usually younger than me. So I don't know if I'm from the wrong generation or, you know, um, but uh, it's been really, really amazing. And I do feel a lot better now. And from an independent, I do feel that um, it's less of a struggle now to have an equal seat at the table. And uh, it's thanks to that net network of people. And, you know, I also met you because I met Paul yeah. through Daniel and then I met you. And I really feel that now there's more opportunity to reach out to people and say, hey, we're there for each other. We, we understand and uh, we're going to support you. And sometimes it's just about talking, very cathartic and reminding people to, you know, that there are opportunities out there that they can do it and not to get down and focus on the wrong things. Um, I do wonder how it is in the big companies because there are some women I know who are now in high position of design, but they don't really speak up. Uh, we don't really see them. Uh, so I think it's a shame because I would like to hear more about their opportunity, uh, the, you know, their experience. And, um, but it's definitely on the way up uh, and uh, yeah, I feel more comfortable than ever in our field, and I'm I'm ready to see some some positive change. And I'm just gonna shut up now because I'm just talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> never, <laughs> never, Celine. That's that's it's it's very therapeutic to hear that because not a lot of people get the opportunity to hear, you know, everybody's individual journey. And like you said, there's a lot of people that are still silenced. And we wonder whether or not we'll actually get to hear their stories until they decide to leave or other opportunities get them out in a sense. So, And I think also that you don't realize it when you're in it because you're in the storm and you need a bit of time to sort of say, hey, that wasn't right. Um, you know, when I started in one of my first jobs, it was normal to go to the strip club on the weekends with your coworkers and and it's like, it's normal. And part of me say, okay, you know, we're friends also, it's normal. But at the same time, it's like, is it? Like, yeah. it, you know, what, what are the rules? And nobody prepares you for that. And it's again, something like at school that they don't teach you about. I think when you are in a work environment and there's lots of alcohol, um, you know, as a woman, you really have to be careful because if you get drunk and you do something, you may be slut shamed for it. Um, and I'm sorry, but a man will not be treated the same way. And uh, it's important to acknowledge that there are these, you know, injustice happening. And if we cannot change them yet, just at least be um, educated about what's going on, protecting our ourselves and make sure that we support um, other women. Because it's a very confusing thing to go into a, a company where everybody's young and you're getting paid and you're having fun, you're designing shoes, and everybody's your friend, but actually you're in a big corporation, you're being watched, you're being monitored, and the line between what is professional and personal is very blurry. Um, and as a woman, you know, if something happens to you, you are in a weak place. And if you're a young woman and you don't know how to defend yourself and you show emotion or you start crying, people will think that you are guilty, even if you are not. So it's a very, very tricky thing to navigate. And that's why it's important to, to talk about it, I guess. Absolutely. 
Wow. I don't know if I make sense or if I'm speaking a bit too broadly. <laughs> it's fine. For those who, most women will understand what you're talking about and then there's men <laughs> who won't. So we're, we're, you know, we are appealing to the masses. So whoever yeah. gets, it, gets it, who don't, they need educating. Simply. <laughs> <laughs> so after your many years with primary, what's next for you? I mean, primary was all in the right locations, even through, it, even though it was a simple design, it was nice and quirky with features, including through your design process. Um, so yeah, so Primary um, is a brand that started in 2014 by, by two guys and I knew them and they, they asked me like, hey, can you help with the design? And I was like, sure, I'll help you. And it was like, for, you know, 200 quid, like helping you out. And we realized that Actually, they really liked my ideas and we gelled well together. It was a lot of fun. And so I said, okay, well, instead of paying me, just give me some shares and, and get me onto the project. And um, this is a big mistake I, di I did. Um, the, and, and I'm sharing this story not to be negative, but to explain that it's very important when somebody brings you into a brand that you negotiate well and you negotiate, you prepare yourself for potential success. Success is not guaranteed, but it's, um, it's important to make sure you draw out uh, an agreement where uh, if the projects end up lasting five, six, 10 years, you are protected. And I didn't, I was so grateful to be part of this project. Um, I got to design shoes that I absolutely loved. And uh, yeah, we had a great, um, one of the partners had great connections and he got us into the best stores. We were in Dover Street Market first season um we we've been in good hood for a while which is you know i'm very happy about that uh we're matches selfridges places like that and uh, after six years of really 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 hard work because launching a forward brand is very tough um i tried to renegotiate my position because i felt that i wasn't uh compensated properly uh for the amount of work and and stress uh that was um, included, as you know, and so we couldn't come to an agreement. Uh, and I decided that it was time for me to move on um, because I, we just didn't align on where the brand was going. So uh, there are a few designs that are going to come out that I've still done, and I'm very proud that we're doing collaboration with Xenia Tellens, which is a sustainable apparel designer uh, who is amazing. So we've got her shoe coming out in March. Um, but uh, yeah, so after that, I, I am prepared, you know, I got prepared for my next venture, which is Circle Sportswear, where I negotiated a better deal. Um, and uh, it's been an amazing learning experience. And I, you know, I wish Primary the best. And I'm very, very proud of what we've accomplished uh, because it's a, it's a really amazing brand. But at the end of the day, it's not my brand. And um, that's also a big thing to realize is you know you can be part of a team you can have shares but there are people who have more power than you do and they uh, they call the shots um, and when a situation doesn't feel right anymore even though it's hard you have to to make a decision and in businesses like that you know people always say that going into business with other people is like a marriage and it's true you know it's like a relationship breakup it's uh it's not an easy thing, but like anything, uh, to me, it's definitely not a failure. It's just another way to grow. Um, 
And so, yeah, I, you know, I had to take a little bit of a break to recuperate after that, but I, I know what I want to work with, uh, who I want to work with. I want to work with people who share my values, uh, who know how to communicate and, uh, and yeah, have big plans to change the world. And it's, it's been a, a very good year despite lockdown uh, in trying to get those things rolling so uh it shows that if there are things you want you may have to do some tough sacrifices but it pays off so yeah <laughs> i mean i feel like i'm talking to my shrink right now <laughs> i mean let it out this is what we're here for <laughs> i mean yeah i mean your journey and experience is you know it's amazing and you still got lots to achieve and you know I look forward to seeing it from one aspect to the other, whether it's an Insta post or in real life, who knows? <laughs> but I would like to know, what would you say to your younger self if you had the opportunity of meeting yourself back then? Uh, well, I feel like I get to meet myself regularly these days because I've got some young as uh, so young women and young men that ask me about becoming a footwear designer and I, I really love talking to them because they really share the enthusiasm that, uh, you know, remind me of like, you know, why we're so lucky to, to be in this field. Um, so in a way I wouldn't change anything because everything that happens to you happens for a reason. That's my belief and it helps you grow. And I'd rather have, you know, done the hardships during my 20s and now sort of uh, have more confidence and also more resilience because resilience is a very important thing when you work in a, in a passion field like we do. Yep. Um, but I would say, I, I wrote a few things. I say, embrace your weirdness. Um, I only realized recently that I was a pretty weird kid um, and it was a little bit strange to navigate, but I would say it's fine. Just be who you are, embrace yourself. Um, be patient because we have so much pressure to accomplish a lot by the time you're 20. I don't know why the media pushes that on us because uh, I would say life gets much better after your 30s and we still have, you know, we're going to work until we're like 60 or 70, like yeah. long careers. And I do feel we should celebrate people with experience more and we should have more cross-generation collaboration happening and I hope I can be also, that's maybe like the next thing I want to sort of tackle. Um, I would tell myself, you know, when you are younger, you are so emotional and you can let emotions take over, especially frustration yeah. and take you to dark places and to remind yourself like it's okay to feel this way, like take a break, go feel this way and then come back refreshed. Um, for a long time, I didn't know what it meant, you know, when people said, be kind to yourself, like, take care of yourself. I didn't understand what it meant. I was like, does it mean that I should go shopping? Does it mean that I need to, like, eat chocolate? And it's more about, like, speak to yourself as if you were your own best friend. Talk to yourself like you speak to your friends. Be kind, and you are only human. And, you know, life is long. You will have a chance to accomplish a lot of things. Uh, dreams do come true. Somebody told me that when I was 20 and it's true. They don't happen the way you think it does. And, but dreams do come true. And that's a very important thing to keep reminding yourself throughout your life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right, guys. 
That's amazing. That's amazing. Okay, so I've got one last question for you and it's not on the list. Yeah! <laughs> um, I would like to know, we would like to know one fun fact about you. It could be anything. Oh my God. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I should have had one fun fact. Um, it can be weird as well. It doesn't necessarily have to be fun. So, you know. Uh, good question. Uh, wait. <laughs> no, I'm left-handed. Crazy. Uh, but I'm very proud of being left-handed, like Ned Flanders. Um, I'm sure there's fun facts about me. Um, but I would have to come back to you about this. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm my... Am I so boring? Uh, You're not that boring. <laughs> I know this for a fact. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's something fun about me that I should be able to share. Uh, that's, I'm not prepared. Um, <laughs> You're not meant to be, that's the whole point. <laughs> but, yeah, but I do feel there must be some kind of quirky thing. I found out yesterday that I went to the same high school as Daft Punk. So oh, that's my- There you go, that's something weird and wonderful. That's, that's I'm sure story. there's I'm sure there's a better story than that. Ah, oh, wait, just give me a few seconds. You can cut off the the thinking time. <laughs> Is there like a celebrity story or something weird like that? Um, I'm the worst. It could be drink. It could be travel. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be. Um. No, but yeah, yeah. Well, why is my mind? I've been so focused on this whole like woman thing. Um, must be some. I'm, you know, I'm obsessed with baking. That's really all I do these days. But it's not very interesting. Um, well, it's it's different. I mean, yeah, well, no, but <laughs> I mean, I know, I know you've been baking for a while because you've been. Yeah, I know. I've, got, I've gotten a lot better, by the way, but uh, <laughs> what are my fun? I'm sure there is something crazy that I should be able to share. Why am I blanking out on this? Um, we don't have to if you don't. Don't worry. It's fine. Well, I'm so sorry. No, but uh, it's so like, what would you say to this question? I see. So I, I did this with Helen. I'm yeah. going to cut all of this out. I did this with Helen. So basically I said, my, my weird thing is I don't like whole tomatoes. Ah! I like them in food. I don't like whole tomatoes. And then she counteracted me and asked me, but you like cherry tomatoes? I said, yes, because they're small, big tomatoes. Ah. I can't stand them. They have to be in food. Well, but I think, I think the weird thing about me is that I'm hypersensitive and um, I can really be annoyed by noises. And if there's like, if my fiance has a watch or if there's like some kind of clock yeah. within 10 to 20 meters of me, I will hear it and it will drive me nuts. And I think I can like hear, you know, like those super high pitched sounds that only dogs can hear. I, I'm just like really weird and annoying with noises. And uh, I think okay. that's my word. <laughs> <laughs> so don't don't do those like dog whistles around me. It's gonna. No, no, no. I'm not planning to. No. <laughs> this is my greatest weakness. 
I don't know if that's a weird fact, but uh, here we go. That's humorous, it's great. And that's it. So thank you for your time today. It's been greatly appreciated. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's been very cathartic. I hope it can help some people. And if they have questions, like don't hesitate uh, to talk to me. One last thing I would like to say is, I think, you know, we touched upon mental health and you know, being in a, in a job that is so passion driven or in a world of footwear where everybody is, you know, driven by passion, you are putting your emotions out there. You are vulnerable. And I think we don't really talk about the fact that being creative is um, something where it's, it's very emotional and we should be kind to people. And if they're having times where they're not performing as well, it's okay. I feel like there's a lot of people that try to show that they're doing amazing all the time and they're working on so many things all the time and makes other people feel bad. And at the end of the day, everyone is human and your whole life, there will be peaks and lows and you know, you will be okay. And the, the peaks are only good because you have to get through the lows. Yeah. Um, and I hope it helps. And I love you all. <laughs> <laughs> we love you too, Zelen. We love you too. <laughs> Thank you so much, Shirne, for, uh, for having me. It's and I hope I get to see you in real life very soon. Yes, very soon. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you again for sharing your stories with us. And we'll hopefully, definitely, real time, countdown has begun. Yeah, fingers crossed. Let's, uh, let's have some drinks soon. Yes. <laughs> cool. Well, bye. see you soon and have a good day. Bye.